0: On this week's Dose, we have Brett Martin, co-founder of Kumo Space and Charge Ventures.
1: Yeah, and based on our conversation with him, Brett has always had the entrepreneurial bug from selling seashells by the seashore at only 12 years old to now running an early-stage VC fund while simultaneously leading a rapidly growing startup of his own.
0: Yeah, Brett had been investing in early-stage companies for almost a decade through Charge Ventures. Wow. And then the pandemic hit. And he and his co-founder who he'd started a couple of other companies with in the past could not pass up on the opportunity to build his current startup, Kumo Space, a virtual meeting platform unlike any other out there.
1: And the platform combines the creativity of video games with the simplicity of a simple video chat, helping companies like Google, Shopify, PwC, and many more bridge the gap between working from home and maintaining office culture.
0: Yeah. So picture this. Instead of having your morning team meeting uh, like you and I do on Zoom and then communicating over Slack throughout the day, uh, in Kumo space, it looks a lot different. You can meet in the virtual conference room. Mm -hmm. You can then uh, debrief in the waiting room with some other people from that meeting and even grab lunch with some folks later, Um, all in the virtual world. and it mimics a physical office uh, for really a fraction of the cost.
1: Exactly. And we actually got the chance to hang out with Brett in his virtual private office space in Kumo space before we recorded.
0: Holy cow. Pretty nice view of the ocean and sound of crashing waves in the background. In- it was nice.
1: Incredible office. The corner office right on the beach. It was truly a blast. And we, we definitely recommend that our listeners check it out. But this week's Dose is actually a double whammy. Twofer. It is truly a twofer. As Brett is also an accomplished investor, his firm, Charge Ventures, invests in early stage software companies with a data-driven approach.
0: Yeah, Brett has a truly unique perspective as both an entrepreneur and an investor, which really differentiates the checks that he's writing for these founders uh, with the background experience that he has. And Charge has a pretty awesome portfolio of 56 investments worth a collective $5 billion
1: market cap. Wow. Wow. As you can tell, we are beyond excited to share this week's interview with you. So let's get right into it.
2: You see, here, kid, you gotta just go for it. Don't think about what comes after or what came before. You just gotta bend your knees, take a deep breath, and jump.
1: This is Venture Pill, your weekly dose of startups and venture capital. We break down recent startups in the news and interview founders and investors to help you stay informed in the evolving world of venture. Welcome on Brett Martin from
0: uh, Kumo Space, and we're really excited to have you on the show.
2: Howdy gentlemen, Great, great to be here, excited to jam.
0: Yeah, well without further ado, we wanted to dive in and on the show we really enjoy hearing the journey of a founder. And we wanted to hear what originally sparked the entrepreneur inside of you uh, to start several companies, which we'll get into. Uh, but what, where did that start? What what sparked your entrepreneur?
2: I, as long as I can remember, I've been uh, making stuff up and selling it. So I, I used to sell <laughs> seashells on the seashore because I grew up in Ocean City, Maryland. And um, my family... I, we would go buy a bushel of dirty conch shells for about two dollars, and then we would take them home, wash them off, put them in bleach, and then sell them for a buck a piece. And that that was uh, pretty good. That was my mad money as a twelve-year-old. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah. I love that. Love that. So it, it's been in your blood ever ever since then. You grew up like. Did you know that's what kind of you wanted to do with your life? You went to college, and you know, I guess walk me through from that point to starting your first business.
2: Yeah, well, um, so I went to Dartmouth College and then, you know, kind of uh, I I did the uh, Tuck business plan. We won the Tuck business plan competition for in-game video advertising, which, you know, later a company called Massive did that and then sold it to Microsoft for $300 million. uh, And then they shut it down, didn't do anything. But, you know, I saw the opportunity there. I wish we had followed it. Uh, kind of uninspired, I uh, followed most of my friends down to New York after college, and you know, did my tour of duty for a couple of years as an investment banker. Um, and that was enough to teach me that I never really wanted to work for anyone else again. And that that was the last yeah. time I worked for <laughs> that was the last time I worked for anyone else again when I was 23. And so ever since then, I've been either you know building uh, or investing in um, startup companies, or you know, living in a sailboat or Greece or, or Italy. But those are. Uh, that's something different.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, we'll have to do a separate episode for those stories.
1: <laughs> yeah. And but- investment banking definitely sounds like you paid your dues. And $300 million, that is a whole ocean's worth of conch shells. So that's really interesting. And now, just to move the story forward a little bit. Walk us through your experiences building Switch and Sonar Media, some of your earlier companies, and what were some of your biggest takeaways from those businesses and those experiences?
2: Yeah. So, you know, my first company was a company called Sonar. And so I had, um, you know, it's actually not true. I did work for nine months uh, at this company called App Fund. It was a kind of tablet-focused seed fund. And then, you know, I sort of realized I actually wanted to start something, and I said, "Why don't you start something here?" And so I, you know, my first company I built, Sonar, um, built inside of App Fund, spun it out, raised external capital, and um, you know that the concept there was, you know, make the world your home. And so, you know, at the time, mobile was the uh, the new catalyst, new technology catalyst, and uh, you know, Facebook was the last big thing, and so everyone kind of thought that the next big thing was going to be, you know, mobile Facebook, right? And that was like location-based social networks. And so Sonar, you know, the whole premise was, okay, at the time everyone was spewing all this information, uh, you know, onto the internet kind of willy-nilly. It was, you know, my generation wasn't quite as savvy as yours is right now. We were just posting our, you know, all (laughs) our college pics and posting our location and just spewing it all over the internet. And the thought was, you know, how can we take this information and then use it to, connect, you know, us to the people that were nearby. You know, I grew up in a beach town, small beach town, 7,000 people during the nine months of the year, 3,000 then 300,000 people in and out every weekend. So I always, you know, felt close <laughs> to people, even though people, even people I didn't meet. And so the idea was how do we take, you know, all that online information and put it in our pocket and use it to connect with the people next to us. And, um, you know, it was, probably still too early for that idea you know i think maybe augmented reality but something that'll happen but you know so at least a at least a decade too early but we did build it and um you know it was pretty cool we didn't even have a cold start problem you could be the only person using sonar and it would tell you how you know how the person across the bar bar you know who they were and uh, you know some people thought it was creepy some people <laughs> thought it was really cool but you know at the time <laughs> Uh, you know, we had, you know, several millions of users and this was like back when there weren't even that many iPhone users to begin with. And, uh, you know, when I would go to the airport, I could literally start a conversation with someone across the bar. And, um, you know, uh, it didn't work. And we set millions of dollars on fire. And, you know, I, I had a, <laughs> bunch of, a bunch of core learnings about that. I mean, one of them was, you know, people still to this day, they ask me, what is um, you know? What about Sonar? What happened with location-based or proximity-based social networking? You know who's going to do that? And um, you know, I always tell them, I, I go, someone already did. You know, it's 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 called Tinder, and uh, you know, Tinder is the ultimate proximity <laughs> proximity-based social network because it turns out that proximity. Physical proximity, you know, it's actually not that great of a signal. You know, in New York City, there's lots of people close to you. You don't really want to talk to most of them at any given time. The, the one mm-hmm. type of person that you almost always want to talk to if they're close to you is, you know, an attractive member, and uh, someone, you know, someone attra- that you're physically attracted to. And, and uh, you know, so one example was, you know, I, I learned that all products that you either, they either um, get you paid, get you made, or get you laid – and if you're not doing one of those things, uh, you've got a problem. Uh, there is a fourth corollary, which is uh, paid, made late or high, uh, but that's uh, not the type of business uh, I'm, I'm building. <laughs> incredible so, takeaways you know, there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, and you know, just lots of things. I mean, you know, uh, one of my favorite. Um, Quotes is, uh, it's in my sonar postmortem. Let me see if I can uh, dig it up. It's my, fa- it's my favorite quote, actually, about startups. And it's, uh, you know, it's from uh, Rainer uh, Maria Rilke. And it's, you know, what we fight with is so small. And when we win, it makes us small. What we want is to be defeated decisively by successively greater things. And, uh, you know, I, I think, um, I've always carried that with me is that, you know, even if you fail, but if you're, you know, failing up, uh, then, you know, you, you are on the right, you're on the right path. And, you know, I think since you probably have a fair number of younger uh, listeners, like, you know, if you're afraid to do the startup, I mean that don't be afraid. I think the worst, the riskiest thing you can do is not learn and, and, and not, you know, improve yourself. And I, I promise you by doing a startup, you even it will be painful how much you will learn and, and improve improve yourself. So uh, just, you know, a little encouragement for everyone out there who's thinking about it. Love that.
0: Yeah. And we call our listeners the uh, the venture pilgrims. So the pilgrims out there, we always love to ask our guests, you know, what's your best advice for them? And you can't get any better than that. Uh, so love to hear that. Fail, fail in an upward motion, learn from those mistakes, put them towards the next venture. Um, in that same vein, how did – How did you take those experiences and I guess walk us through how that transitioned into starting Kumo space?
2: Yeah, totally. I'll give, you know, one more piece of advice because I want to give balanced advice is, you know, when Sonar blew up and it really was, you know, taking a piece of myself and trying to turn it into software. And so, you know, it, I, my, my personal identity and worth got kind of tied up in that venture. And, you know, that's, it's a common mistake I see a lot of young entrepreneurs make, which is, you know, their startup is their baby, their startup is everything. And, you know, their self-worth becomes how well they're, you know, how well their startups doing, it becomes their self-worth. And that's pretty scary for a lot of reasons because, you know, you don't, first off, you don't fully control the success or failure of your startup. There's a fair amount of luck, right? And then your self-worth is determined by the, the vicissitudes of the universe. So, you know, after I after Sonar failed, you know, I made a mistake. I made a big mistake, which was I did a rebound startup. And, you know, that rebound startup was called Switch. It was a mobile um, job search app. It was kind of like Tinder for jobs. And, um, you know, the idea was to put hmm. sort of hiring managers and, uh, you know, talent directly in connection with each other, Um Again, you know about using software to connect people, new forms of human connection and interaction. Um, but I would say my my motivation for doing it were all wrong. You know, I I call it a my rebound startup, and <laughs> you know, it, in the same way that a rebound relationship is usually a bad idea, uh, so is a rebound startup. And so, you know, why do you do a rebound relationship? It's usually not about the person that you're. Uh, with, but it's really about yourself, right? It's about saying, Oh, you know, I'm worthy of love. So I'm going to enter a new relationship to like prove that I'm worthy of love. And, uh, you know, a rebound startup, which I, which I, which I see people do all the time. I myself included myself included is, you know, you're doing a startup, not because you have a brilliant idea and, you know, an edge for execution and, and, uh, you know, for winning, but rather because you want to prove to the world that, you know, you're good at startups and you're a, you know, can be a successful founder. And, you know, frankly, that's a terrible reason to do a startup. I mean, you should do a startup because you have a great idea and a way of executing on it, not because, you know, you want to prove, prove you're worthy. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I, I would just share that mistake, that failure as well. So you know, Kubo Space was actually, you know, years after it was kind of seven years after Switch. And so, in between Switch and Kubo Space, you know, I actually started a venture capital fund because I I, called Charge Ventures. We are, you know, on our third fund, and um, you know, we invest in pre-seed companies. Focused on New York, but really anywhere in the U.S., we write our first five hundred to seven hundred and fifty k checks into companies just getting off the ground. You know, we we like to say it's uh, friends, family, fools, and charge ventures, um, jokingly. But uh, <laughs> you know, I I did that because you know I, I love I love startups, I love supporting founders, and but I didn't have I didn't have the idea, and so I told myself you know I I am not gonna do this again until I have you know, the idea. And for seven years, when I would see a, you know, really good business idea, you know, high margin, high growth, inherent virality, network effects, you know, default, um, you know, kind of strong moat, moat possible, you know, possibility of building a moat around the business, great, you know, kind of management team, you know, I would just give them money. And I'd say here, here's some money, and uh, you know, let's get rich together. You build it, and we'll both get rich. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll obviously help you, but like, let's face it: at the end of the day, the brunt of the work is on the is on the team. Um, and so, you know, I did that for seven years, and it wasn't until Kumo Space that I saw an idea that spoke to me so personally, and so you know, it, it really like. It was something I could literally do for the love. And, um, you know, that's why, you know, KumoSuis is the first thing that I couldn't help but do in seven years. And so, you know, I think as a entrepreneur, you have to be patient and not rush into ideas and not just do it. You know, I see a lot of people, they want to be founders because it's, you know, cool to be a founder these days. And, you know, you get lots of, um, you know, you, you know, your f- friends think it's cool and you, you can be on TechCrunch and, you know, they're doing it not be- for the kind of <laughs> the wrong reasons. Um, and then, you know, when yeah. things get tough, you start running out of money, people, uh, like, you know, they, they drop it. They drop it like a hat. They go back to bank, go back to consulting, go back to Google. Um, and, you know, I think, like, you have to be so passionate about something that, you know, you would literally just, like, keep going until you're, there's nothing left of you. And uh, that's actually, you know, why I do Kuma Space is because it just it speaks it speaks to me right like it's it's basically all the same stuff i tried to do with sonar about using you know technology and data and the internet to connect you know people except for now you know we're leveraging the benefits of the internet instead of fighting against them, right? Like Kumo spaces can be infinitely large. You can have a 100,000 person company in a Kumo space. You know, we can, it's really easy in just a couple clicks to connect to some of the Kumo space. You don't have to actually walk across the bar and talk to them, which is quite challenging and difficult. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that's that's what brought me back into the entrepreneurial arena. It's just something like a, I wanted to see the world. I wanted, you know, we're spending more and more time online. You know, you brought it up during Zoom. And, you know, who we all know, like being on Zoom calls all day sucks. And I thought there has to be a better way.
1: Yeah, that's, that's an awesome story and definitely one that we resonate with. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners will, too. Um, a little bit more on Kumo Space before we transition into a little bit on Charge Ventures. How did you and the team at Kumo Space go about finding the correct lead investor for your Series A? And as a follow on to that, What's the experience been like so far working with Paul Murphy and the team over at Lightspeed?
2: Yeah, I mean, so, you know, first off, just want to be clear, like Kuma Space is not just me, actually, you know, my co-founder, Yang Mao, I've known him for 10 plus years, and we've um, actually worked on all three of those startups together. So this story would be quite incomplete. Oh, wow. Unless, yeah. unless I, uh, you know, brought up Yang, because, you know, I uh, Yang built the Android app at, um, at Sonar, Yang, you know, was our CTO at Switch. And now, you know, Yang is actually the CEO of Kumo Space. So, you know, I'm a co-founder. I handle all the external stuff like fundraising, sales, marketing, uh, customer support, account management, um, and, you know, PR. And then, you know, Yang handles all the ops, uh, technology, product, engineering, design. Um, so, you know, the... Thing that got me most excited about doing this is just like having a great co-founder that you, you trust deeply, right? You can't, you cannot replace that. Um, in terms of, you know, r- sort of like raising for Kumo space, you know, actually our first investors uh, who did our seed round are Ed and Elliot at Bold Start. So, um, you know, Bold Start's uh, New York-based infrastructure, um, you know, DevTools fund, ama- you know, amazing guys. Uh, actually, I first connected with them, for Sonar and we almost had a deal together and then, you know, for various reasons uh, that were not their fault, uh, you know, that deal fell together, fell apart. But I always said, you know, if next time I do this, if ever, I'm uh, coming back to these guys. And so, you know, when I did my first, um, you know, when it was time to raise our seed round for Kumo space, I basically messaged Ed and Elliot They were the first people I messaged uh, on a Friday or on a Saturday morning at noon uh, within an hour, we were in Kumo space together, me, Yang, Ed, and Elliot. And it, within 90 minutes, we had uh, kind of already handshuck on a deal. And um, <laughs> so, you know, these no one else I wanted to work with. I, You know, I, there's a few other people I would work with. And, you know, these guys just moved on so fast. And, uh, you know, they're just absolutely great investors. And so that was our seed round. We raised, you know, $3 bucks from them. And then... You know, when it came time to raise A, we had just you know launched monetization, you know, and we had, were rapidly scaling, you know, adding hundreds of thousands of users a month, and uh, you know it was it was time to go and take it to the next level, and you uh, know it was pretty similar situation. I mean, honestly, I I, ha- I didn't know Paul before, but I got you know a strong referral to him, um, and. To, and you know from someone that had worked at Lightspeed, and uh they and basically you know caught up with Paul and kind of instantly headed off I mean he is an entrepreneur um you know he's an entrepreneur that turned investor so obviously something I could uh you know relate to he's obviously just a very cool dude he's always kite surfing and you know taking all of his portfolio <laughs> of his CEOs awesome. on uh you know cool outing trips but you know he he was a, the main thing was actually just incredibly product focused. So, you know, our, the virtual office space that Kumo space operates in, it's a pretty crowded space. There's, you know, 40, 50 companies. It's obviously like just a massive market opportunity, right? Like you're, you're, you know, replacing, you know, trillions of dollars of commercial real estate with software. And, um, you know, Paul had, Paul had done the seed investment in Hopin, um, which is, you know, the big virtual events company, so he understood kind of, you know, bringing online things, uh, bringing offline things online. And so, he, you know, for us, he was a perfect investor. Yeah. But, you know, he basically was one of the only investors that did the work and actually looked at all the different products in the space. And, you know, from a distance, they all look quite similar. And when you actually touch them, you know, you can tell the difference. And so Paul you know, probably looked at a dozen or more, you know, companies in our space and said, you know what? You guys do have the best software, uh, you know, credit to Yang and our engineering team. Um, you know, let's do let's do this. And so, yeah, you know, it's been really great um, working with Paul. He's just a very like calm, even keeled uh, investor, and I think that comes from being an entrepreneur and like you know, kind of knowing how messy it
1: really is.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And we know that we'd be remiss to uh, to not mention alumni ventures. Both of us being affiliated with AV. Uh, we know that they got uh, some action in on that round as well just yeah give give a little bit of how how it's been with av and certainly it makes sense to me with all the portfolio companies that alumni ventures has potential customers for kumo space and leveraging that how's that been so far
2: oh yeah i mean listen you know we laura rippey is on um you know our investor from alumni and they're just such easy folks to work with you know we gave a pitch and they, you know, basically said they were in. And, uh, you know, I think alumni ventures help as much as you want or as, as little as you want. And that's, you know, it's nice. They're, they're just, like, very easy to work with. And I think that's, like, you know, first rule of investing is do no harm. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, we appreciate that, um, you know, from alumni and, you know, the rest of investors is they are trust us to just get our get our work done
1: and so real quick tell us a little bit about some of the traction and prominent users that kumo space has experienced thus far if you don't mind this is basically an opportunity to shamelessly flex
2: (laughs) uh yeah i mean don't worry you don't have to tell me to shell twice i I mean you know we is lucky you know know, millions of registered users we have twenty thousand plus organizations you know Google NASA Google NASA you know Shopify PwC you know all the big four consulting firms you know a bunch of government of Canada uh, you know users all across the world um, you know using Kumo space and um, you know like we're just we're just I mean we're just ri- lucky to be riding on you know one of the biggest sort of secular changes in the you know in the history of work which is the move to remote you know i'm um, i i had sort of i was kind of already i was lucky to be ahead of the curve because you know my venture fund charge we have a lot of european lps limited partners and uh you know i had been spending two or three months a year for the past six years uh in europe uh, already and so we do our general annual general um meetings or our big, you know, LP meeting, do it in, uh, Athens every year. And I was, so, you know, when I was over in Europe doing fundraising, I was still investing in us companies. And so I was, you know, doing a bunch of zoom meetings and zoom pitches, uh, you know, In 2016. And so this idea of like, you know, at the time it was something I had to try to like convince everyone on the utility of it and the value. And, uh, you know, now, you know, post COVID, it's just become default. Uh, And, you know, people are resisting it and fighting it and there's hybrid and, you know, Thing these things these like gigantic changes don't occur overnight. But if you just look at the you know sheer number of people that work remotely, fully remotely, you know it's it's more than tripled since the pandemic. And uh, you know we've gone from a default standard of five days a week, fifty weeks a year, to you know maybe two or three days a week in the office. And the idea of you know taking a week of vacation and then in in France, and then spending three weeks working from France is has gone from completely absurd to you know almost usual. I, I don't think there was a single yeah. VC in New York this summer. They were all quote working from the Hamptons, uh, taking Zoom meetings. So <laughs> <laughs> VCs are definitely up yeah. on this trend. Yeah.
0: Well, walk us through like now that you got this uh, influx of funding. It's a new stage of growth. What are some of the key milestones for Kumospace as you take it to the next level?
2: Look, you know, we we view I mean we view Kumospace as kind of the you know the default operating system for you know remote work, right? And so we want to be the communications platform for remote work and hybrid work and, and, you know, what does that mean? Right. It, it's um, you know, I think our wedge is this, you know, virtual office. So if you think about the different ways you can communicate, right. You have text, you know, right now people are using Slack, you have audio, maybe people are using huddles in Slack, you got video, maybe people are using zoom, you know, or teams and, but, but what's missing is still that in-person interaction. And, and that's why everyone's trying to, you know, People are still trying to get people back to the office, right? Because there's something that's missing in all those existing tools. And we, you know, our mission for our core thing, the thing where we're 10x better at Krimo Space is we're trying to provide that in-person experience virtually, right? That presence of no, you know, visibility seeing who's in the office and being seen by, by your peers, right? The awareness and context of what's going on and who's presenting, you know, on, on what, and what are people, you know, working on the presence of, you know, knowing that people are there, you know, working with you 10, 12 hours a day, right? Like, just like feeling, you know, warming your hands by the, the warmth of your team's energy, right? The, the, the speed to and quickness of communication and iteration, right? Tapping someone on the shoulder and say, "Hey, you got two seconds to look at this," right? T- you know, catching up with people on the way to the meeting and then deep breathing on the way out, right? Catching up late night for you know taking a little break and um, you know playing a little quick game of ping pong, uh, you know, with your coworker while kind of venting and like having a little you know personal connection, not even talking about work before you you know dive in for another couple hours, right? Those are the things that just, you know, you can't get from Slack, you can't get from Zoom, you know, you can't get that speed and, you know, you can't get that camaraderie and you can't get that awareness. And so, you know, our thing we want to be 10X on is, you know, bringing that in-person experience and making it virtual. And we think that, you know, everyone is trying to get people, anyone who wants to get people back in the office, that's actually a great customer for Kumo Space is because, you know, if they could get that, say, all those benefits of the office while, you know, paying, you know, one 20th or 30th the price, right, then yeah. that's, that's a great deal. And so, you know, we use that as our wedge. And uh, then we, you know, build out all the other communication that people need. You know, you're still going to use Slack. You're still going to text with people. You're still going to want to have just a plain old video chat sometimes, right? You're still going to want to just give people a phone call. And so, you know, eventually we'll build out all those other modalities and just try to be, you know, a fully featured kind of platform for the future of work. And, you know, that right now, you know, most people are sitting and using Kumo Space at their desktop, but, but you know, we got a desktop coming app coming out, we got a mobile app coming out. And let me tell you, you know, it might look completely different than our uh, existing app. Imagine, you know, a world where you're on the move, and maybe you have your air, your AirPods in, and you're just getting a little live audio news feed of what's going on in your office, what people are working on, and then you can just quickly hop in and out. And, you know, dip in and out, get to like learn about what they're doing or give a little direction and keep moving. So, you know, we think the future of remote work is work together anywhere and Kumo Space is really just going to, um, you know, provide, you know, the right message at the right time to the right people with the right medium.
1: That's, that's an incredibly exciting future path (laughs) and definitely a vision. I think we both resonate with, and I'm sure all of our listeners do too, um, is there first of all, just out of curiosity, what is the Kumo Space equivalent of virtual ping pong? Is there something like that available yet, or what's what's the idea there?
2: <laughs> was that was that enough shilling for you? Um, yeah, I mean we got it. You know, <laughs> uh, Kumo Space is actually going to be. You know, we have we have fun games you can play Tetris. You know, in Kumo Space, uh, we're we're we've got like some ping pong games as well. We've done sort of like activations. You can grab drinks and grab. Um, you know, little like snacks that you share with other people in Kumo space. And it's weird. I We actually think the future of work, we got to bring some of that fun back into it. So it's, you know, a lot of sort of team building, socialization, uh, you know, trying to encourage like culture sharing and, you know, connection between diverse uh, employees. And, you know, one of the things we've learned about remote work is that, um you know, Working in an office is kind of the same format for everyone, but working remotely is like, you know, everyone works differently. And so how do you, you know, office, it's hard, it's hardware, right? It's, it's hard to adapt and personalize, but software, you know, can be personalized. And so, you know, the goal with Kuma Space is to make it work best for everyone. And so some people are more social. Some people want to bounce around. Some people want to just focus. And, you know, how do we provide software that is responsive to all these different types of people uh, with different styles and different needs. So, you know, if you think about maybe there's parents, right. You know, the stay at home dad and he wants to, um, you know, he's got his kids at home and, you know, he's got, he maybe has to do some more stuff during the day has to work in kind of odd hours. Like, you know, you want to make it work for a- async people, or let's say you're young and you know, you're just starting out in your career. You know, you really want that like FaceTime and visibility and mentorship from your, you know, your, from your bosses. Right. So, you know, one of the core things for us is just like making the product adaptable and flexible to like different, different work styles, because, you know, work from home is much more heterogeneous than everyone being in an office.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's well said. And now to shift gears just a little bit here. So Brett, how do you go about spending your time, or allocating your time might be the proper term, between Kumo Space and Charge Ventures? I imagine you have your hands quite full between the two of those. It's, yeah, I mean, I essentially
2: work, you know, two jobs, and uh, you know, I'm put. I mean, listen, Kumo Space, it's sort of like a startup. It can be all consuming. Luckily, I get a lot of leverage out of being a sort of founder in my investing role. So, you know, the founders that work with church ventures are people to see the value in you know, working with a fellow entrepreneur, right? You, you know, I, like my advice, there's a lot of VCs, maybe they were operators 10 years ago, right? But they haven't actually built an influencer marketing campaign in the past six months. Right. They (laughs) haven't picked, you know, what they haven't done. Look at what are all the latest CRMs and, you know, which is the best one or what's the best software for generating leads, you know, for product like growth. Right. Like I'm in the weeds on that type of stuff. And so. One, that lets me sniff out bullshit if people haven't done their homework, if entrepreneurs, have you know, haven't done the work. But yeah. more importantly, it helps me, you know, the ones we do partner with at Charge, uh, you know, we can give them really hands-on tactical advice, you know, and connections, you know, to – in a way that is not there from kind of, you know, a VC that's spending the Hamptons – spending the summer in the Hamptons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love it. Uh, we wanted to know a little bit more
0: about some, maybe just call out a couple uh, in the portfolio of charge ventures uh, that are compelling to you. I know it's pretty early stage. Maybe you have a couple of successes after several, several years going at it. Now we'd love to hear a little bit about the portfolio.
2: Yeah. You know, I mean, we're again, we're, you know, pre-seed investors. We like to invest like like really, as early as possible. Um and so I've been lucky to partner with and learn from just a bunch of amazing entrepreneurs. You know, we are investors in multiple billion dollar companies now, you know, grin, um, which is sort of, uh, influencer marketing software. They basically power the creator, They're kind of creator management software, their power to the creator economy, you know, Brandon Brown, CEO of that company, we did the, the seed round and, you know, now it's worth over, you know, over a billion dollars. I get the, you know, watch him and awesome. learn from him. He runs like one of the tightest ships, runs the tightest ship of anyone I've ever seen. I mean, he's so metrics driven and his sales team is just like a, you know, like a bunch of fighter pilots. And, uh, you know, I <laughs> learned, you know, learned a lot from him about operational excellence. And, you know, and an example of that is like, he you know, taught me about this thing called entrepreneurial operating system, which is just a way of like managing your goals and your metrics and, you know, making sure that your whole organization is growing together, you know, took that and, you know, deployed that into Kumo space. And then I also shared that with some of my other, you know, in, uh, portfolio CEOs. So this is kind of the synergy between being an operator and, and an investor. Um, you know, another is like Electric AI. Uh, that found, that's, uh, they basically provide, you know, IT uh, via the cloud to, uh, you know, small and growing businesses. And the founder of that, his name is Ryan Dennehy, and uh, you know, he's a multiple time founder. This is his third company, he sold the first two, you know, one to USA Today, one to Coupón. And um, you know, younger, you know, younger than me. And but he's you know, what I learned from him, is just so he's like I like to call him the Phil Jackson of of uh, startup CEOs. Yeah. You know, he's <laughs> the like the um, you know coach of the Bulls. He's just so Zen and so unflappable and just so calm, you know, a lot of these CEOs are trying to like bowl you over and, and, you know, you know, obviously it's a high energy job, need a lot of energy, but he's just so Zen and, you know, he's always doing the right thing. That's it. That's what I've learned from Ryan. It's just like, just const, just like do the high leverage thing. You know, uh, there's that quote, it's, um, you know, easy choices, hard life. Hard choice is easy life. And I think Ryan, you know, very much embodies that. He just does the difficult thing over and over. And watching him get such high leverage on that has been really amazing. Um you know, and, and those are, you know, some we invested in bison trails, uh, you know, Joe, Lelouz, and Aaron, they, you know, sold their last company to Etsy and uh, you know, started up basically a, you know. Bitcoin mine. And I was, you know, thinking that, well, that's not really a venture scale business, but these guys are still good. I, you know, just going to give them my money and see what happens. And sure enough, they came across this amazing problem, which was like, you know, there needs to be an AWS for for crypto, basically, you know, infrastructure for anyone that, you know, owns token, wants a stake token, or, you know, runs a protocol. And, you know, they built that. And, you know, that was a, you know, over a billion dollar exit to, uh, you know, to Coinbase, obviously it was a, you know, great one for us. And, um, you just, you know, learn about like what it looks like to put together an amazing technical team. So, you know, those are all great, um, you know, founders, but it's not, we, we all often invest in people when they're just getting out, you know? So I just like, you know, small shout out, uh, you know, Louis black is the founder. He's, at uh, you know, your guy's age, probably he's building this company called just play. Um, and uh, it's basically, you know, Airbnb uh, for pickup sports. And so, you know, you either have the choice between the, going down wow. and playing pickup sports. And you know, maybe there's no game. Maybe there's a super long wait. Maybe the quality sucks. Maybe people don't want to run back and play defense, uh, you know, if you're playing basketball. Or you could, you know, <laughs> play be in Zog Sports or one of these leagues. But then, you know, it's like, oh, I have to pay a bunch. And then I have to play sometime between 5 and 1 a.m. on Tuesdays. And, uh, you know, if I I can't (laughs) make it that night, I'm still paying for it. And it's a real hassle. And so, you know, uh, Lewis has really cracked the code here. Lots of people have tried to do this. But he is, you know, successfully growing this business crushing it. He's already all over the world and, you know, enabling people to play pickup sports for, you know, five ten $10 a game. And uh, I just, you know, really promising young entrepreneur. And so, you know, we do invest in a lot of serial entrepreneurs, but we also invest in first time entrepreneurs that, you know, are showing the qualities of someone that, you know, has the potential to build a billion dollar company.
1: And so you mentioned it in that answer, so what are some of those specific traits and qualities that you're looking for in founders and founding teams? You know,
2: we have a, a phrase we say, you know, someone's a maniac. <laughs> we, we like people that are mm-hmm. kind of maniacs in, in in a good way, right? They're just like obsessed with yeah. their, you know, the market or the problem that they're trying to solve. And that's either because, you know, they're just obsessed with winning or they're, a lot of times it's, they're obsessed with the specific problem that, you know, there's a change they want to see in the world. And, um, and then they're, you know, just learning that, you know, their capacity for learning is so fast, right. Because they're so obsessed and, uh, you know, they, they do the grind, right. They, they are willing to just like put, like to put forward a lot of work, you know, work, you know, they're working, they have a credible work ethic. Um, and they're just, you know, putting up reps and sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong, but they, but they're moving fast and, uh, you know, um, learning from their mistakes. I think, I think, like, you know, entrepreneurial, like a core entrepreneurial trade is like recognizing that the time, uh, the, 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 cost of the time it takes you to decide. And so I just, uh, wrote, you know, a couple of tweets about this last night is that like people also waste a lot of time. Deciding between things of equal value, right? So you're choosing between two CRMs, and they're roughly the same, and the pricing's the same, and you know if, if it was a very obvious choice, if one was way better than the other or way less expensive, and you know then you would make the decision quickly. But if they're roughly equivalent utility, sometimes you agonize over that decision, and in reality, there's no decision to make. They're equivalent, so you just make that decision and move on to the next the next one. And so you know another, I think important trade for entrepreneurs is just like the the decision-making velocity. Um, You know, they're just constantly making decisions and putting one foot in front of the other, and maybe they will be wrong, but you know, the, the cost is low. Right. And that's the kind of Amazon concept of, you know, one way decision versus two way decision, you know, one way door versus two way door is, you know, if it's, unless it's a one way door, which is like, it's irrevocable, it can destroy your brand. It can harm someone. It, you know, it's, you know, like illegal, right. Like, Unless you're, it's a one-way door, then you know you should just make the decision, see what's on the other side, and then if you don't like it, come back, come back out, and you know make another choice.
0: <laughs> well, Brett, we, we've had an awesome interview here. We wanted to wrap it up and, and thank you for your time. You know, you're pretty much the ideal guest for the venture pill. Given we love talking to founders and investors, so we got to get both of that in with you. Um, we want to leave our listeners with, and you already gave a little, a little bit of great advice at the beginning of the episode, but to the pilgrims out there who maybe, you know, not everybody's cut out to be a founder, but they want to get in on the action in the world of venture, whether that's being an investor or joining a fast growth startup, what advice would you have for those types of folks who don't want to jump in as, you know, a founder right away?
2: Well, my moonlighting job is I teach data analytics at Columbia Business School. So I've gotten this question once or twice. And, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The core, to sum to summarize it, I the, just get in the mix, right? So if you want to be an investor, the you know early stage investor, the main thing is just deal flow. So meet as many interesting, awesome startup founders as possible. Try to help them out by connecting them with investors. Take you know your pitch book of all the startups that you think are really good, and you know just send those deals to VCs. And you know the funny thing about VCs, you might send them nine. E- cold emails with a different deal and they might not respond to any of them, but if they see one that they really like, they'll respond to that email. And so that's, that's how you get your foot in the door as an investor. And then I think honestly the same thing applies to startups, which is just like figure out, you know, do you, what are you optimizing for? What type of startup do you want to work at? Do an early stage, late stage um, is geography important is the purpose or the mission important, or is it just about the team? And once you have that, just start trolling lists, put together lists, and then reach out, cold reach out to CEOs. Because if it's early stage, I can assure you, you know, who's reading the info at uh, company.com email address. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's going straight to the CEO's inbox. And uh, if you give them some thoughtful feedback, you, you know you pick apart their product, you QA their product, that you tell them some bugs, you give them some potential customers that you can introduce them to, they're going to take a coffee with you or at least a Zoom call. And uh, so just, you know, start building your network like that and, uh, you know, you'll have a job in no time. I should mention that, uh, you know, Church Ventures, we're always looking for, uh, you know, investment associates and MBA, you know, associates. So if anyone out there is, you know, looking to get their foot in the door adventure, in venture, I would uh, encourage you to uh, shoot me an email at vc, uh, And, you know, maybe with a company or two that you think uh, are worthy of investment.
1: Love it. Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like persistency is one of the key tenets of your advice there, which is, you know, obviously crucial for people trying to get into venture and also just in all aspects of life, really. But that about wraps up the episode. Before
0: we let you go, Brett, really appreciate taking the time. What's the best way? You gave your email there. What's the best way for people to follow you on social? Where do you hang out besides Kumo Space?
2: Yeah, I would just say, you know, uh, check Hit me up on Twitter. It's uh, Brett1211. That's how old I am, is that I have a handle. And then, you know, feel free to connect (laughs) with me on on LinkedIn. And, uh, yeah, I will uh, just mention in your uh, connection, you know, where you uh, found me on VenturePill. And, yeah, we'll connect. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another dose of Startups and Venture Capital. And as always, we appreciate our pilgrims spreading the word about the show. Share with your friends and help someone else make the pilgrimage. See you next time. She told me that she only Bumps my music when she's lonely Thinks my vibe's a little low key, okie dokie
2: That's alright, but wait I don't know how to do things, that.